Welcome to Bang on the Money, the feminist financial podcast aiming to smash the taboo around money through honest conversations about mistakes made, lessons learned, and the money myths that hold us back. This podcast is for educational purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. Alex Holder is a freelance journalist, consultant, and author of Open Up, The Power of Talking About Money. In her book, she shares her thoughts on the emotions that surround money and gives her advice on splitting bills, navigating unpaid internships and those £400 Hindus. When Alex told a friend of a friend about her book, he asked, Why do you think it's a good idea to talk about money? Why would anyone need to do that? She froze. In her book, she writes, My answer should have included how poor and vulnerable people are suffering most from the silence, that the wealth gap is increasing, that women are routinely underpaid and that money is the greatest cause of anxiety for Britons. I should have pointed out that we know transparency can help solve these issues and that the conversation is what roots us to other humans. If I'm feeling stressed, I call my best friend. If I want advice, I talk to a colleague. An evening of conversation in the pub is my happiest place, yet a huge topic that governs a lot of my life, where I work, where I live, what I wear, is verbally out of bounds. I didn't say any of that. Instead, I felt his shame, a shame that he didn't want to surface and I didn't want to aggravate. Shame came up for so many people, whether they earned a lot of money or didn't have much money. Shame was still attached to the money they had or the money they didn't have. I thought that was so interesting when you were asking people what they thought rich meant. And regardless of where they were on the pay scale, nobody really had a clear answer. And very few people say that they feel rich in themselves. I think, well, we live in a society of comparison, don't we? And so everyone is always aware of someone that is richer than them. And even if it's not their next-door neighbour or their friend... Um, or someone in their family, how it, I guess, used to be. You're going to see someone richer than you on social media every single day. So it's kind of like our comparative senses, which is a really ordinary human emotion, is just heightened. How do you think we can combat that? Well, I hope that we're ready for a kind of acceptance of our own finances and for everyone did Harriet talk about financial positivity yes she did she's mentioned it to me before and I think it's such a lovely way mm. of putting it that we're ready for this movement where everybody but like kind of body positivity yes so exactly. that everyone can feel great about you know everyone is beautiful that maybe we could feel that about our finances now obviously there are lots of people that you know, society is unjust and there are institutional issues that affect and there are pay gaps, whether it's gender or race or disability pay gaps. So some people are being treated unfairly and to at say, an institutional level. At an institutional level and to say to them, you should feel great about your finances is absolutely wrong. But from all the com- a lot many conversations I've had about money, I found people that were really really happy on 16 grand and people that were really really miserable on 70 grand so I don't think our happiness directly correlates to how much Mm. money we've got once our basic needs are provided for yeah um if only we could all kind of own our situations and make the money we have work for us rather Mm. than constantly and not feel so much shame around earning too much or too little with that comparison coming into it do you think so shame is an emotion that thrives in secrecy yeah it's it's a very isolating emotion. It makes you internalise and look into yourself and it stops you sharing. In fact, like shame, its purpose as an emotion is to make you kind of go and hide in a cave and not want to see anyone. So I think we've kind of trapped ourselves in this cycle that because we don't talk about money, 
it induces shame. And then because it induces shame, we don't talk about money. So I always say that I think the answer is that if we could just be a little bit more honest about it, that's mm. not kind of shouting our salary no. at the person sat next to us on the bus, but bringing it a little bit more into everyday conversation and even having conversations with ourselves about it rather than being money avoidant mm. could help with shame. So one of the things you did in the book was you shared the advance that you were paid. Yes. And I wondered what drove you to do that and how people reacted to that information that so many people would keep to themselves. So the book is about talking about money and why I think that's a powerful thing to do. There was just no way from the outset that I wasn't going to talk about my money in the book. Um, yeah, I, I had to put that advance in. It was, there was awkward conversations with my publisher about it because they quite rightly and pointed out that it would affect other authors. You know, there is a kind of my transparency yeah. actually is a little bit like everyone else's transparency. But... It's £12,000. £12,500, yeah. Um, but it's only been positive. So the, res- the conversations that it's led to is other authors getting in touch, going, oh, I thought my publisher was lowballing me. Like, I'm really glad you've shared yours. Now I know that's the market. Because the other thing about money is we often only hear about extremes. Of, so in the press, if you're talking about book advances, you generally only ever hear about six-figure like this person's got a six-figure deal but I thought it was really important that people should know that that's a market rate that's what I got paid maybe they'll understand the work they do or if they're a writer the the market and the industry they're working in if they just have that little bit more information about it and it's helpful to someone then yeah I'm happy to have I think that it. marker is so helpful and it goes across loads of different things so when I was first going freelance and I was trying to work out what I charge as a day rate or what I charge for this I just had no idea where to start because none of my contemporaries had done that and so I just didn't know where even the ballpark Mm. would lie and it kind of took lots of googling and I tried to talk to people but it's really difficult to find out where to actually get that information from so I think when you're open about it and you actually put numbers onto it it's really helpful for lots of people. It's amazing how the the difference just one data point would make so if you what I would do in your, in your situation, if you don't feel like you can talk to a peer or someone else who's... Because often people don't feel like they can talk to a, another freelancer who's offering the same service because, you know, there's a, like, there's a competitive element there, which is a shame, but that, that, mm. that is true. So I would ring an ex-boss of yours or email them, say, what I'm going to be doing this work. What do you think I should be charging? So there's no, you know, there's no... Um, there's no ties there. Yeah, and there's there's... And what have you got to lose? Like, they know the work you do. That's mm-hmm. quite a simple question. Lots of people like being asked. Yeah. That is quite a powerful question to kind of put to them. Um, so ex-bosses, anyone, if you're going to work for an organisation but you know someone has previously worked for that organisation, mm. send them a little DM. Yeah. But there are, I think there are... There are ways to work it out. Less awkward conversations to have than others, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So what I'd love to talk about today is money and relationships and go through friendships and romantic relationships and some parental relationships and some work okay. relationships, if we oh can God. manage to do all of that. Um, but what I loved in your book was when you referred to sitcoms and like comedy where they'd refer to money and it mm-hmm. got so awkward. So I'm thinking of Sex and the City and Friends. Charlotte and Carrie. Which are very old examples 
examples, but they still stick in my head so much where I think it was Joey and Rachel and Phoebe felt very awkward that they were always going and paying for expensive things that they couldn't afford and Ross and... Well, there was a financial divide in the group, wasn't there? Massively, yeah. And like in in many friendship groups, there was financial Mm. disparity, like some earn more than others. Mm -hmm. And I think the issue of never talking about money is that we have to make presumptions about other people's finances, whether they're really unthinking presumptions that it's just, we'll eat in this restaurant. And of course, we'll just split the bill because why would you have that awkward conversation? Or you... I've seen it the other way where people presume someone can't afford something so therefore don't invite them out. Everyone winces at that episode. Yes. I think it's called the the salad. <laughs> the, the steak <laughs> yeah. and the salad. Yeah, exactly. And then with Charlotte and Carrie and it's Carrie who needs money for her apartment, I think. Carrie has spent all her money on, on shoes. shoes. <laughs> um, which I really like that we're not invited to judge her on that. No. At all. And in fact, we, I feel like we all end up siding with Carrie when Charlotte does judge her on that. Yeah. And then Carrie is asking, ask Charlotte to lend her money or wants Charlotte to offer her yeah. a loan because she has the money. Yeah. Yet Charlotte is judging Carrie for spending money on shoes. But Carrie turns the judgment around and is like, but you've got this money because of a man. Like, you know, this, you haven't earned this all yourself. Yes, yeah, Charlotte has a great job, but I think it was trays maybe divorce that had left her with an apartment and it's tr- it's kind of shows like the fruitlessness and pointlessness of judging friends like we all come about money in different ways things aren't fair luck is often involved in many and we so don't it's the family that you're born into or the person that you yeah. fall in love with or there's just so many different factors and it, lots of them are out of your control. Just the industry you choose. Yeah. You know, when we choose a job at 18 or an industry to go into, I had no idea that, say, advertising paid more than journalism mm. and that they could have been two... I could have gone for either of them and I wasn't looking for the money. It's just I fell into one. Because, and again, and I know it's the stick I beat about conversation, but because we don't ever talk about it, judgment is something that you know it's again it's Mm. quite internalized emotion isn't it something that we like go and discuss at home with our partner or think about inside yeah how do you feel about borrowing money from friends how do I feel about it it's really individual so I don't think there's a you know catch-all answer I I've I lend I've lent money to my siblings and I borrowed money from them I've borrowed money from friends and lent money to friends uh I think it's it is difficult though it does compromise it can put the relationship into a compromise Mm. if there aren't clear boundaries set out at the start so I will pay you this back on this date or I'm going to pay you back in three installments I think when it's blurry and it's like I'll just pay you back when I have the money and then you're both and then again that kind of awkwardness sets in where no one knows who can mention it I think it's important to keep checking in if you have borrowed money or lent money Mm. to kind of and keep communicating yeah keep communicating about both your situations yeah I think that um did you read Queenie by Candice yeah yeah yeah. um I thought they she covered money in such an interesting Mm. way in that novel that I had never read before in a previous novel and that it's just made certain relationships very awkward mm-hmm. and you could see how the dynamics were shifting and this power imbalance that because it was blurry and there wasn't a kind of yeah there was a power imbalance but at the same time I felt like that was f- for 
things other than money. Cassandra lending Queenie money felt completely right. It's like Cassandra yes. had the money, Queenie didn't. Mm. There was lots of things, factors in her life that were meant, you know, she was going through a really hard time. Mm. Actually, saying that lending money it creates such awkwardness, I think, is problematic in itself because... I would like to think that I, any of my friends would come to me if they really needed it and they thought I had it at that time. Yeah. And vice versa. You know, that is how yeah. we prop each I other up. The, the but I guess, it, again... Yeah, the way that I thought it was awkward was the um, that they kind of used it against each other almost. Like, Cassandra yes. seemed to sort of play off it too much and at certain points in the novel, and that's where I thought, oh, that's where it... No, can, you're totally right. It can get tricky. Also, I guess, if you, because their relationship dynamic changed because of other things. Yes. So many plot spoilers here, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I'd realised, yeah, then money became a tool of kind of control. Yes, exactly. And punishment, I guess, within that relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But very well, like very oh, nuanced. Oh, so, yeah, really, really brilliantly yeah. played out. Brilliantly written book for anyone who hasn't read that. Um what advice would you give for somebody who's managing money with friends and living with a friend and kind of splitting those bills and managing oh, I guess, God, flatmates. Money between flatmates is really difficult. Um, have conversations really early on if you can. So even before you move in, if you can talk to someone about how do we split these bills, who pays for them, how do we make sure it's not just one person... When a landlord says you all have to pay rent out of one account, that's not true, actually. It's often not in the contract. You can all say, no, I'm going to pay it. And, you know, we'll all pay our individual rent so that you're not, one person doesn't end up with an account in their name with debt on it or loads of, like, late charges because someone doesn't pay the rent on time. Um, Have conversations about things like, are we going to all share shower gel and toothpaste or little niggly things? Because when it's your home... It's amazing how quickly it can feel petty. And I think that's because it is your home. You know, it's the only... It's your, like, sanctuary. It's so your space, yeah. It's your space. So if you... If things... Small compromises just can feel huge. Yes. Even when like it's just a few pennies. Uses, even though you're talking about, yeah, literally pennies often. Yeah. Or I buy the four-pack of toilet or you always buy the two-pack. I've had that conversation with someone when I asked them, yeah. how's money with your flatmate? <laughs> yeah. And that came up. Um, or even what someone actually once said to me, I bought the cushion and he sits on it. It's like, <laughs> okay, I don't, I don't know. What. That's so funny. What, but it's that really, that comes down to different expectations. I, I think it's about understanding that people have different attitudes. So I used to have a huge comfort level with debt. I also, didn't mind and would say to my flatmates it's all right when the letter's read it's not at all like there's a court summons it doesn't really matter you're never gonna actually have to go to court (laughs) and it's true I've never had to actually go to court and I've had many court summons um but that was just that's how I felt about money it didn't stress me out in a way that I totally now understand it stressed them out Mm. and that felt like a really big deal they weren't able to just you know shrug off yeah red letters coming through because I hadn't got my act together to pay the gas bill and that was my job but it wasn't I wasn't trying to be a nightmare flatmate no it's I just your attitude and you were just doing just my priorities were different yeah I was a nightmare flatmate because of it but it's I think people can take these things very personally I think that someone's just after them or trying to annoy them with not paying that mm. pound or but it's not it's just some people just are 
yeah have a different yeah. relationship with I think the app actually that I found really helpful when I was living with friends at uni was Splitwise so whenever anybody bought anything you put it on Splitwise and then you all it all kind of tallies up so at the end of each term we then somebody would owe someone else three pounds and mm. the other person would owe five pounds and someone would be owed ten but you just all it all that's great it. and then I guess an issue that up. could come with that and this is but it's great that I think having apps that can help you do the admin because admin is mm. often the thing that gets in the way but with that you've still got to pro, you've still got to make sure that you all agree that hand soap is in that like yes, another conversation exactly. I've actually had is someone saying but I don't use the hand soap in the kitchen so I'm not paying for its replacement and then other you know sometimes people expect more expensive things than others so if every time someone I don't know what it'd be. Yeah. Bought the expensive coffee. Yeah. And expected everyone else to spend it. And then someone doesn't drink coffee and then they get charged for it, then it just it's a niggle. It's like there's niggle resentment. So Mm. having those chats, not being afraid at the start to say things like don't if you're taking it to bed with you at night and it's sitting in your chest. Exactly. Why do you think um, splitting the bill is so awkward? I spoke to lots and lots of financial therapists um, in writing my book. And Brad Klontz, who's a leading American one, he was talking about how Freud, the psychoanalyst, um, found the same issue with his clients, that they were all rich and they had enough money to pay for his services. By the end of a therapy session, they often found it difficult to pay. There was something that about putting a transaction after something so intimate that there was a disconnect and they often didn't pay or it'd get really awkward and you'd have to chase it. And I think we have a similar thing with eating out, that we've just shared something really intimate with friends. And the idea of putting a different price on it for different people makes it, it's almost like saying that we, the experience wasn't the same. Mm. Yet there is a menu of prices on, so. And sometimes people are in different pay brackets. Different pay brackets. Specifically chosen something cheaper or more expensive, depending on that. To say let's just split it equally and make that that you don't in any way take into account what people have eaten or what they've deliberately chosen, like you say, because they don't want to spend that much that night. It just removes all autonomy from everyone at the table. And the research has shown actually that we spend more if we know the bill is going to be split at the end than if you know you're going to be only Mm. paying for your individual share. Yeah, I was going over the notes in my book, actually. It was 35% more, which is a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, I think it's really difficult to, if you have a group of friends and that's always the way it's been done, to go against any social norm is always a difficult thing. I think there are ways around it. I think Mm. if you say at the start of a meal, oh, I've I've just got, I'm just going to spend a tenner tonight, so I'm getting the burger. Yeah then you kind of stated your thing. You're not sat there having a slightly uneasy dinner waiting for the bill to arrive at the end. Yeah. Or take the autonomy at the start of choosing where to eat where you know you're going to be comfortable. Mm. Or if you know that you never want to have that conversation with friends, then you have to prioritise in some way and maybe don't eat out with them so often. Because there's just no point eating out with people if you're stressed about the bill coming. Mm. Exactly. Because then it also leaves this kind of the, the feeling at the end of the meal is, oh... I didn't want to spend that much, but I don't want to say anything. And then it's... Yeah. It just... It's not a nice feeling to go home with after you've had a lovely evening or day with Mm -hmm. somebody. So... And if you... If splitting the bill is never a problem to you, if you're listening to this and being like, oh, I just don't mind, I'd just rather do that, then you're in a really 
privileged and great position and maybe just just really check in with yourself like does yeah. this feel okay for everyone else out there and it's not making assumptions as you were saying but yeah. even the same with paying bills for your electricity just making sure that if you're comfortable with something it might not necessarily mean that somebody else mm-hmm. is also comfortable with it mm-hmm. yeah what do you think about um going dutch on dates and when it came to dating and that whole money conversation what did you find from speaking to people for the book so dating's interesting now because i think there used to be a protocol definitely within heterosexual relationships when a man and a woman were going on a first date where it was expected that the man paid and you know probably we're going like 20 years back but even in the last 10 years so I'm 36 and I was dating eight years ago and it's still that you know it was Dutch or the man paid I often used to pay and it was seen as quite like a move (laughs) which you know it wasn't I just also wanted to I do it in a way that I just wanted it out the way you know they were in the toilet I'll just pay the bill and then we don't have to have that awkward chat where because I always felt as a woman, I have to do the whole, no, let's split it. Yeah. We're splitting it. And it, whereas a guy before, when it was presumed that he would just pay, could just do it. And it, that seamless, effortless transaction, I felt I missed out on as a woman um, dating then. But now, I think what is really interesting with dating is that, so it's been thrown open. I don't think there is a, a definite protocol. I don't think that you can expect a man mm. to pay the stats show they still do and then also you know we're becoming is culture is less and less heteronormative so there's a whole generation that's just a lot more fluid and uh, might be dating different genders or just kind of yeah so the gender i don't think dictates no who pays anymore mm. how did you find it differed with um homosexual couples did you see well, any trends or was it just I see I individual? see a, I mean I don't I don't know want to say it's a trend but I definitely see and this is across all couples that the 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 older more successful one would pay so if yeah. there was any age disparity mm. um it definitely seems that going dutch is totally of course that's totally cool and that seems to be the fairest what I I am quite surprised in is that no one very few people talked about dating. Some people didn't date if they were really skint that month and were like, well, I just can't afford to date this month. Because dating is expensive. Dating is definitely expensive. Um, so it was just presumed it was going to cost money. There was no... Not many people thought about how to make dating cheaper. Mm. It was more, it's going to cost money, so I can either afford to do it or I can't. Not, yeah. I'm just going to suggest we go for a walk or all these other things it's yeah because like there's loads of free things that you can do I mean in every city as well as well. yeah but I think people want to turn up to a date and feel treated or kind of just feel flush right yeah or feel part having money and not stating you don't have money at the start unfortunately in society today is still seen as an attractive quality yeah and it's still something you tick off so to present free dating at the start was mm. isn't something that's kind of caught on yet that's really interesting there's a kind of status attached to that that you wouldn't necessarily want to put out mm. right on the first date yeah I love the psychology Which, behind it I think it's just so interesting yeah and um, that. I'm not saying that's right or wrong it's just it's, it feels like it's happening so how do you manage your money with your boyfriend do you have a joint account how do you arrange that so I preach like ultimate money honesty yet we don't have a joint account okay I think we don't have one because we're both admin phobes, so. <laughs> but also, we talk about money a lot, and in fact, do I even say a lot? 
a very healthy amount. So we are both freelance, which requires it requires talking about it. You kind of we check in with each other. How are you doing this month? Mm. And also that invoice. You know, I, I will say to him, "Oh my god, I'm so annoyed. This invoice hasn't been paid." And we, being a fellow freelancer, he totally understands that that happens all the time. So we have regular conversations, and I think that kind of supersedes us needing a joint account. And we have things that we both know we're definitely going to pay for. So we do half the mortgage each. I do childcare. He does bills. And if either of us thought we couldn't do that, then we'd have to, we'd chat. Mm. And then everything else we kind of work out by who's got money that yeah. week. And then you have separate pensions and separate investments? Yeah. 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 Actually, I earn more money. So I am the only one with investments right now. Mm-hmm. I would happily put them in his name, but actually what we've... Um, I, I've made him not it's not made him he has now <laughs> encouraged because of all the conversations I have about money and um, him to set up his own pension and investment which he has now done yeah because we definitely had a feeling of I had this pension and it made more sense to pay lots of money into one but then I was like oh it's really it's just that sense of only I'm getting the true future security from that because it's in my name I feel like we're both fair and we have a child together and but everyone should feel very yeah secure and if you were to get married would you have a Hindu? that's another point no absolutely yeah. not <laughs> I thought you were going to say that I think that that I didn't have a baby part. shower yeah it just the that part in your book resonated I mean I don't I haven't even been to very many Hindus. that hasn't really started for me yet but it even looking forward to it slightly fills me with dread that the amount of money that I could potentially end up spending on friend after friend after friend and I obviously love my friends and I want to support them but it just seems insane how much money is expected of you to it's ludicrous yeah. but the thing is it's just it's an industry I can't believe how quickly we've presumed things are traditions this week I was thinking about it so I rang um my boyfriend's mum my mum and um, my mum's friends so people a range of people of who are all in their 60s and I was like I just just and I'm not going mad I just want to check because it's really hard to find the total research and the history of the Hindu did when did you first go to what was your first Hindu did you have Hindus none of them had Hindus and my mum my was like oh the first one I went to was you know like 20 years ago in Blackpools they're not something that go, dates back there might have been a night in the pub so I think my mum had a dinner party just for yeah. her girlfriends and then that was it but that was wasn't anything that was more expensive or more extravagant well, than anything, anything else anything that is a once in a lifetime industry capitalism <laughs> takes advantage of because you're really vulnerable if anything that's once in a life you're you're vulnerable because you want it to go right and they and there's anxiety around that and i think they take advantage of it and we've fallen for it Massively. to quite an extreme extent it's quite amazing how quickly we are willing to just fork out more you know people truly are getting into debt to attend social events from when you're speaking to people who are older than you you haven't found that that happened before no there's like lots of there's a little alchemy of there was easy credit there was industry there's social media even before social media we had kind of comparison on tv you know the idea that you'd see the real housewives having a a hen party and I think that 
those three things have kind of come together to make this ridiculous thing where we feel like we have to spend all this money at this one in a lifetime event that's weirdly this is the weird thing got to be better than the last one we went to yes more extreme so it gets more competitive mm. I sometimes felt like that with 21st that I went to mm. at university that it did it got it had a competitive edge to it at some point where I thought oh my god this is actually like going to a wedding yeah. Um, and yeah I mean it's lovely to celebrate I actually do really like the tradition of 21st because it's one of the few things and they talk about this in Sex and the City all the time coming back to Carrie that there are so few individual celebrations of you as a person mm-hmm. without a kind of milestone that involves a partner or a baby or yeah. this especially for women and I really like that you can have that 21st where you have people who are close to you and you celebrate mm-hmm. that yeah and I, and I don't want to look I sound so miserly sometimes where I'm like <laughs> taking down these brilliant celebrations I just don't think you have to spend so much money or you on the or God, the celebrations could be better as well. Hindus are the fact that because you invite everyone, apart from only the bride can enjoy that. So for everyone else, it is often an, quite an arduous task to go to a Hindu with people, go on holiday with people with strangers. I think you're just you're right though. It's just having the conversation and and realizing that not everybody will be able to afford what everybody else can, and that and also maybe that I guess I've just often looked at Hindus and gone, oh God, I could have spent that money on. Oh, a brilliant holiday with my best friend or yeah so I think it's about just questioning what you could do instead or do you really want to do Mm. that I'm not saying never have a celebration it's just there are things we spend money on that we don't necessarily need to yeah and it's a mark of kind of prioritization I think as well that if you spend money on something here then it means you can't on another thing Mm -hmm. and where do you want to prioritize and put them all in order yeah Mm -hmm. Brad Klontz again um that financial therapist he speaks really well of how humans are pack animals and you know we really really it's like we have an innate need to belong to the tribe because way back you would have died if you were like rejected from the tribe and saying no to a social event can feel like social suicide it can feel like you're rejecting your tribe and that kind of FOMO we now call it which is quite a I guess just giving it, calling it FOMO belittles that emotion. But that emotion is really real, that feeling of all your friends are doing something and you're not. So I think we need to get in touch with that emotion a little bit more and really analyse why does it feel so stressful to say no to something like a Hindu or a birthday or a meal out and then work out, is it? Like, does it... We all know, actually, your friendship doesn't end if you say no to a Hindu. And, you, you know, there will be other chances and there'll be many other events. Exactly. So just on um, parental relationships, Mm. how did you find that um, parents' attitudes towards money impacted their children? And in your case specifically, do you see yourself aligned with one parent more than the other? So I think it's hard to talk about parental relationships without talking about class or just like the socioeconomic group you grew up in, um, which definitely influences how people feel about money. So it's not just how my parents were around money like my dad was was a statistician I can never say that word um (laughs) so he's you know quite on top of it and then my mum I describe her as someone who will find money for a holiday no matter what she's just a lot more free she's not a she um yeah she's an adventurer so their attitudes definitely made a difference but actually I'd say growing up 
in a northern town, which was quite about keeping up appearances. Um, but also there was like working class roots there. All of those things have made a huge difference. And then even arriving in in to university in London, suddenly meeting people that I'd you know, never didn't had no idea people had grown up like that with that kind of amount of privilege. All of those things I think have affected how I feel about money. Mm. But in terms of my parents, I think one thing that I have noticed that I wish I would have been aware of earlier is that I I definitely replicated, like copied my mum's behaviour around money because I'm a little bit more like her. And yet she was a different generation with different assets, wage, you know, so debt, there was a debt. So she had a house that when you bought a house, well, I don't know, in the 60s, whenever she bought a house, was an appreciating asset that, you know, the property market boomed. And so when easy credit was around and she took credit cards out, the risk wasn't the same as when I went to university and got a credit card at 19 and ended up in loads of debt. You know, I kind of, I just saw that she'd done it and thought I could copy, whereas she was doing it with a completely different set of circumstances. I think that we all end up as a slight combination in lots of ways mm. of our parents, but I think for me, I I will do things like, my mum quite often buys stuff in bulk because it does save her money in the long term, but it means it's a massive amount to put out initially. Mm-hmm. But then also sometimes she buys too much and you know, you just yeah. kind of end up with all these things you don't actually use. But so for example, this is like such a tiny example, but I will always buy three foundations at the same time. Wow. Because it's always three. three. It's always three for two. So I save myself 10 pounds and then I don't need to buy them for ages. And they, I don't know, does foundation go off? It's probably not very good. Or I'll buy like yes. a mascara and two foundations. So I spend 30 pounds in one go, but then... Because you can't, because that feeling of like twenty pounds, because that feeling of missing out on that discount would feel. Yeah, I'm such a sucker for discounts like that. But then I also quite like my dad in that he always has that phrase, you know, look after the pennies and the pounds will look after themselves. Um, We all have little weird spending quirk. I mean, I'm endlessly fascinated with people's. I spend a lot of money on books. That's something where I don't ever see it as um, frivolous. Um, Not, I don't know. That's such a loaded word, isn't it? Um, I know what you mean though, because. But then having too many books that I haven't read stresses me out. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I think it's it's worth constantly checking in on yourself. So you're saying, oh, so you know that you're very easily, like, money to books can just kind of yeah. go. Yeah. But does that truly make you happy? Like, would you, you know, there is a bit of a Marie Kondo thought to finances. Mm. Would less books or not having three foundations, I don't know. Would Yeah, it, exactly, exactly. Would it make it feel like, yeah you might have I think done. it's just good to examine it and that's what mm. I like about all these books that um have come out including yours where it asks these questions and then you have to examine your own financial life which you might not have done previously mm-hmm. mm. the other thing that I felt in terms of talking about parental relationships and this is completely normal for the you know generation I grew up in but I wasn't they didn't teach me how to manage money in any way mm. in fact I my dad would question why I was spending money, but he never, I didn't know what a budget was. I didn't know how to budget. Genuinely, no one ever sat me down, which I think, like I say, is completely normal. And I, that definitely affected how I spent money as I got older. How um, did it work when you started working and your, um, kind of, you got your first paycheck and talking about money with your friends as you went up and progressed in your career? How did it change? 
people are much more open to talking about money when you're all at the same level. Mm. So if you're all students and you're all graduating, we definitely discussed money quite openly and we would share starting salaries because the disparity between them wasn't huge. But then as we all started earning different amounts, I could just feel the money conversations just dropped off. Do you think that pay transparency um, within companies is something that's beneficial? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. In fact, I think we'll... I think we'll get to a point where every company will have some a real element of transparency and you will just know what other people earn. Yeah, I hope I, so. I really do because I can't I can't see a possible benefit to not doing that. The only pay transparency only I mean, sorry, pay not knowing what other people earn and not talking about pay at work only benefits the people at the very top because they know exactly what everyone's earning so there's an imbalance Mm. and it means that they are going to be able to negotiate and choose what they pay you whereas if you know what everyone in your company earns if you're an employer e um and you know what the person sat next to you earns and what the person who does the same job in the other office earns, you're much more likely to be able to advocate and make sure that your the pay you're getting is fair with with no transparency that's where pay gaps thrive Mm. and are you quite I mean I imagine the answer is yes with being freelance has that Mm -hmm. changed your transparency and how open you are have you become more open since being an employee I yes definitely I'm very happy to talk about what I earn um especially if I think it can help someone else I always say about money conversations that then it's not it is still powerful information in today's world you know and knowing what someone else earns just because not everybody reveals it so therefore by its very nature it's kind of scarce information and therefore it's powerful um and I do believe everyone should feel like they can share what they earn but like mental health or sex or other conversations that we consider personal mm, or taboo in some or way or taboo in some way that you should have these conversations in places you feel safe with people you trust so you know I and if you ask me what I am now, I, I will tell you, but I'm it, always really aware that with no context, sometimes it can just, I don't know whether it looks like it's showing off to some people, whether, what it looks like to other yeah. people. Is it helpful? It's kind of... Emma Gannon covered that in her Sunday Times column. Oh, did she? Which was about, it's great to have pay transparency and to be open and to talk about your figures and your numbers and your concerns around money, but it's also a conversation to have with people you trust. As in, it's not necessarily with strangers. Well, I'm happy to just have it all the time, and I haven't come mm. across a problem mm. yet. But I, I'm also really aware that I don't want other people to leave a conversation with me, and um, for them to feel I, I've gone on a journey, and I've spent a lot of time thinking and researching and speaking to people about why pay transparency and talking about money and bringing just money more to the surface rather than it being a personal struggle for everyone, you know, something that everyone has to struggle with personally, is I can see the benefits because I've gone on that journey and I've had those conversations, but not everyone has. And like any taboo subject, the first time you talk about it, the first time we talked about sex, it it feels, you know, it it does feel, um, it elicits lots of emotions. Mm, Definitely. And my final question is, what do you wish you'd known about money when you were 16? Um, I wish I'd known how to budget. Yeah, I really, I really wish I would have realised that 
being aware of what I was earning and spending, that the effect that would have on all of my life choices. Mm. So I just kind of blindly followed better pay in terms of work and I don't think that was necessarily always the right thing to do and then I blindly just spent what I would ever I earned not really thinking I didn't prioritize there was no priorities in my life it just kind of I just haphazardly bumbled through a salary I think I would have um I wish I would have been a bit more mindful earlier on Thank you so much for listening to Bang on the Money. You can find out more about Alex at Alexandre Holder on Twitter or buy her book, Open Up, The Power of Talking About Money. Thank you to Millie Ashbridge for the music and Bahas for the cover. And please do rate, review and subscribe so that other people can find the podcast.